So good morning, LCM. Good morning. It is Sunday, January 22nd, and we've just returned from nine Eastern European nations. We are full of vision for the upcoming seasons and cannot wait to talk to you about it. First, we'd like to express our admiration for your valiant faith in the face of overwhelming yeah. opposition that in no way overwhelmed you. Your victorious church of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you boldly, confidently, victory is where we are headed. The truth is that we are just about to announce our title and the two next Sunday's messages. But first, we need to consult our war manual. What's your war manual, church? Come on, hold it up. Show us your war manual. So we're going to begin in Matthew 10 and start in verse 34. You yell there when you're there. Or you can say it in Romanian if you want. Acolo or, or your native language, wherever you want. The point is, is that you get with us because we're all going in the same direction. So Matthew 10, verse 34. Do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have come, not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Amen. Saints, you're a biblically literate church. As you hear these words of Jesus, the things that should immediately be drawn to your mind are Exodus 32, specifically verse 27. Where all those who were for the word of God, who were for the Lord, rallied to Moses. Jesus is saying here, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. In Deuteronomy 33, 9, the Levites, the priesthood, they had a blessing that came from this event. And it stated that they watched over the word above relatives, above every single familial connection or friendship. They exalted the word of God. In this house, we have sided with the word of God. We have sided with the sword that is the word of God. That is because it has pierced our own hearts first. It has been ingrained in us. It is what we hold to above and beyond everything else. And now, at this point in time, it will be used to separate the sheep from the goats in the nations of the world at large. This is the sword that we are carrying. All barriers in this house and all barriers ahead of us must be broken to achieve the singular. Somebody say singular. singular. The singular purpose of God to bring the world under the rule of Messiah and his kingship. Look, when you hear Matthew 10 quoted, because of our previous experiences, you might only think of painful separations. That the word of God has separated you from someone that you love. I want this morning to consider the Rueda family because the sword that is the word of God has brought clear lines and clear distinctions. Amen. But swords do not only divide. Look at what has happened. It has united them. Yeah. 
into a singular purpose, a singular function. The sword shows us who is the family of God. Those who get on the side of the word of God have no distinctions left among them. They have no other priorities left among them. It is God's will or die trying. And sometimes die to accomplish God's will. Amen. The sword is not only an instrument of division. It also shows you what is united for God and what is united against God. And in this family, we stand for the will of God. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. I want to look at what happens when barriers remain. When prejudices, pretension, and purposes other than the singular desire of Adonai are left within men's hearts. In the text that we're about to read, the Edomites are being addressed. You'll remember that they are relatives of God's people, but they never get into God's singular purpose. In fact, they stand opposed to God's purpose and with hostility towards those who are God's people. They're being addressed under the title Mount Seir. That's because that is the largest mountain in their region, and it is simply how God refers to nations in the text. We're going to pick up in Ezekiel chapter 35, and I'm going to read you 1 through 6 so that we can illustrate the importance of removing all barriers. Are you there? Yeah. Oh, come on. Are you there? Come on. Yeah. Look, Judah and I have barely been off of a plane for 24 hours, but we are going to give it our all this morning, okay? And the good news for you is, for us, it's about 2 a.m. in the morning, and that's when we tend to shine. Yeah. Chapter 35, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it and say to it, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I am against you, Mount Seir, and I will stretch out my hand against you, and I will make you a desolation and a waste. I will lay your cities waste, and you shall become a desolation, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Because you cherished perpetual enmity and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity. At the time of their final punishment. Therefore as I live declares the Lord. I will prepare you for blood. And blood shall pursue you. Because you did not hate bloodshed. Therefore blood shall pursue you. Barriers and divisions. Lead to perpetual barriers and divisions. When you do not unite in the will of God, but keep things fractured, keep things divided between priorities, divided priorities is what multiplies. Our God will not tolerate perpetual resistance to a singular plan. It's because you are lovers of Adonai's singular plan that we're addressing you this morning. You are men and women who have been discipled in his heart, Come on. discipled in his motives. The entire purpose for us bringing you this message today is because you have developed a singular oneness with Adonai's objectives, and you've proved it in all of your actions. Saints, for a moment, we'd like to talk to you about barriers that have been broken in the natural realm. 
Then we will move on to discuss the more important barriers that are falling before the majesty of our great king and our day and our time. So to start with, we're going to talk about the world bench press record. George Hackenschmidt in 1898 set the world bench press record. Are you ready for this astounding figure? It was 361 pounds. The man weighed close to that himself. By the time that we get to 1995, we have Chris Confessor, who bench-pressed 741 pounds, only weighing 236 pounds himself. So the first man benched about what he weighed, and then this man has shattered that and weighs less than half. Ryan Kelly, in 2008, bench-pressed 1,775 pounds. There's a progressive nature that occurs when barriers are broken. Once one barrier has been shattered, those who are coming after realize that it can be done. They understand that, that more can be accomplished. The 361-pound bench-pressed became trivial because many had done it before, and men begin to set their sights on more than what was done in the past. See, once barriers are broken, it's an indication that more is to follow. A broken barrier is an indication of a greater and greater yield in supernatural feats. We've watched you breaking down barriers. We have watched you come into the singular purpose of God, and so we know that there is exponentially better things ahead for us. I'd like to talk to you about the fastest mile ever run. In 1954, Roger Bannister ran a mile in three minutes in 59 seconds, and it was the first time the four-minute mile had ever been broken. Today, somebody say today. Today. High school students do that. Okay? The world record today is a full 17 seconds less than the first time the four-minute mile was broken. This is the nature of kicking down barriers. Once they're down, you'll see that they were never supposed to be there in the first place. And you will go further and further and further. Do you want to go further, church? Yes. In 1947, a guy named Chuck Yeager was the first to break the sound barrier. Now that is done thousands of times every single day. What was once impossible now becomes entirely commonplace. Friends, where the supernatural was once impossible in our lives, it is now becoming commonplace. Come on. We're in a season of barriers broken. And we're going to talk to you about barriers far more significant than these. Let us turn to what the prophet Micah said in the second chapter. So this is Micah chapter 2, verse 13. One who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. Saints, our message to you today is called uh, Barriers Broken. What's it called? Barriers Broken. Our message today, Barriers Broken, will be followed by next Sunday's The Balkan Bow. Let's just do it for fun. The Balkan Bow. Which will lead us through the revelation, the events that occurred on our most recent Eastern European trip. 
two Sundays from now. Somebody say two. Two. Two Sundays from now, you will be taught in a message called Bending the Bow. How our God is going to carry out his plan through this Balkan bow. All right, so three messages. Today is Barriers Broken. Next Sunday will be the Balkan bow. And then the Sunday after that will be Bending the Bow. And just to demonstrate the extraordinary depth chart in this room, what God is doing among us, Judah and I will be covering today, Barriers Broken. But those who are known as Called Out Ministries will be teaching you about the Balkan bow. And then the old fossils. I'm talking about the old guys that God has to move through just to get rid of the decrepitus and atrophy in our frames. We will be talking to you about how to bend that bow. For now, let's talk about what we've been given as a church body. What we carry and what the Lord has already done in us. For that, we're going old school. Back to the 1984 NIV, and we're going to pick up in Matthew 16 and verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Immerser, because I have a hard time calling him a Baptist. (laughs) Others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Church, I'm proud to say that you have answered that question. Hallelujah. You have answered that question not only with your creeds, but also in your deeds. Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, and it is obvious. We do not back up, shut up, or let up in the face of adversity, because we have stood on the solid rock of the revelation at Caesarea Philippi. Amen. In the very place where the gates of hell existed, we stand and know Who is our Lord and who is our master? And we are proving it every day in our actions. You have seen barriers broken down that hell erected. We will be victorious in the glorious campaign of Christ. And he is the one who has called us. And we have a singular purpose in answering that call. Somebody say amen in the house of God. Saints, we're going to take a deeper venture. We're going to look at the gospel of Luke. And we're going to see what the Spirit is saying to this victorious church. He is speaking to us about the days ahead. And he's giving us his revelation and his kingdom warfare power to advance it. Let's go to Luke chapter 5 and pick up in verse 4 together. For this one, say there when you're there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deeper water. And let down the nets for a catch. Verse 5 says, Simon answered him, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Thanks, as we begin to interact with this, this is always the call of the master. We know what the master is saying to us in this house, and we will obey it. We're in a season of deeper waters. In this text, the men were fishermen. They were well experienced with the sea. It was not the first time that they had engaged with it. 
And yet Christ was calling them into something more, something he had been preparing them for, a supernatural experience that yielded a harvest. Well, in this house, we have been prepared. We have been discipled. We have been trained. And our master is calling to us saying, go out onto deeper waters so I can bring you to supernatural harvest. Do you want to get out into the waters over your head? Yes. Well, that is what we're destined for and it is what we'll do. From this New Year's bonfire, we know that this is a season of setting out. And our barriers have been broken down to this goal and this endeavor. Now we're going to see the Lord at our head breaking barriers down in other people and other families. Our God will bring the nations under the singular leadership of the Messiah. And we are his emissaries, his ambassadors, his instrument to bring his gospel to the nations. The very same thing that has been done in you and done in your family, we are going to embark on a campaign to make sure that it's done in families and nations around the world. Again, we want to consider what he's already given us. 1 Corinthians 4.17 ought to be dear to you, and I know that it is. For this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. LCM is a church that is full of Timothys, full of Tituses, full of Onesimuses. In fact, this house is a house of discipled sons. Amen. We are no longer dependent on singular stars or one-man ministry teams. This church has the good deposit and the Lord will cause all barriers to be broken to get the deposit that has been given to you into the hearts and hands of men in other nations. Oh, come on. When we say that you are discipled, when we say that the good deposit exists in this church, you need to reflect on the fact that for 21 years, this church has been discipling. Jesus did it in three. It took us seven times that amount. And almost every three or three and a half year increment, we get better at it. There are families in this house like the Halls that have been there from the beginning. Come on! They can testify to the progress that we've made. We have been discipling and in discipleship personally for 21 years as a body. This body is about to reap the rewards of those 21 years. And reap it in the form of a global harvest around the world. You are what Paul was speaking of when he instructed Timothy in the second epistle and the second chapter in the second verse. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Saints, this is a house of reliable men. This is not one, two, or three reliable people. This is a house of men of God who can be thoroughly relied upon. I can see faces around this room of men who are capable to teach the word of God, who start in their own home and radiate outwards. Everywhere in this room, God has been preparing us, and we are now in a season of setting out, setting out with what we have been given, what we have been entrusted with, so that we can entrust it to others around the world. So back in 2013, we told you some things that have now come full circle. The message was called Breaking Barriers. 
Our message today is a reflection of what Adonai has done through you guys, through the medium of discipleship, which is why our title today is Barriers Broken. Back then, it was something that still needed to happen. Yes. Now it is something that we can see clearly has. I want to show you a quote from that message. We put it on a slide for you. Our heart in covering these things is that you receive from heaven those deeply ingrained revelations, convictions, and you leave the shallows to venture out to where Jesus is calling you in the deep waters. You will receive, grow, and transmit this way of life to others. Today I say, church, you have received. Amen. Today I say, church, you have established convictions. Amen. Now we are clearly in a season of setting out. And the next step is we will leave the shallows and see the kingdom of God break through every barrier just as those barriers have already been broken in you. Church, what you have received is life-changing power. It is family-changing power. It is nation-changing power. What we're on the cusp of, what God is speaking to us about setting into, is that what started in our own life and has radiated outwards, it really is world-changing power. The German author Ethel Stauerbaut put it best when describing this subject. This next slide is him speaking of Jesus. He says, he is the Achaemenian point where the world can be shifted from its axis. He and none other. No point in history more clearly illustrates this fact than the last moments of the cross. The very earth itself shook. And it was reported by secular historians as far away as Rome, the edge of the biblical world. But more importantly, the very heavens were shaken that day. They were shaken, and the result literally changed the world as we knew it. The earth and the heavens shook as a response to barriers being broken at the cross. A way was opened so that men could experience more. You have the very lever by which the world will be moved off its access in the days ahead. Oh, I want you to contemplate that for a minute. Tom Powell, it's not the ranch that's going to move the world off its axis. It's what God has done in you and Martha. Yeah. It is what you now know that cannot be taken from you. You've been entrusted with the very secret things of God, and they're more valuable than any other possession. Amen. We could say this of every man and woman in this room, but how could I not mention it with the Phillips? You can take all hell will throw at you. You will chew it up and spit it out because you yourself have lasting and valuable promises from God. They cannot be taken. They cannot be overcome. And you will stand in the victorious power of Jesus Christ. Saints, what God has given us has proved true through fire and testing. The apostle Peter in his first epistle says this. Gold that is purified by fire. That is the faith that you possess. What you just heard were quotes from 2013. Think about how much has happened in our lives in the last decade. In 2013, we told you from this pulpit that the only thing that was preventing us from setting out and seeing the nations changed was a dire need for discipleship, not just in a few, but across the board in the church body. I'm proud to stand here and say that today, Discipleship is not for just a special few, that every man, woman in this house is engaged in discipleship and discipling others. 
What God began then, 10 years ago, has been building and coming to a place where it is ready to be displayed. At this moment, we're now glorifying Adonai because we are in the season of reaping the rewards that are the result from years of serious discipleship. Come on, Law Hans. It's been a long, hard fight to get to here. But we are here. But we are now standing here, and it cannot be taken from us. We are about to enter into a season where the years of preparation, the years of discipleship, will put you into a position of reaping the rewards of that discipleship. Look, our message today is barriers broken. And we're going to reflect on what happens when men have been discipled correctly. Amen? Amen. The record begins in the first chapter of Acts. But while I'm talking about the first chapter of Acts. Oh, that's interesting. You know, we're about to embark on another foundations study. I can't say exactly the date that it will start because we only make decisions in teams. But I can tell you that we will embark on a study of the book of Acts imminently. Now, you might just file this away for somewhere back in the recesses of your heart. But the book of Acts contains the record of empowered men who were empowered for the purpose of bearing witness to the glory and the deeds of Jesus Christ among every nation on earth. Come on. And we're going to study it because that is what we're going to do. Let's pick up in Acts chapter 1 and verse 7. Somebody say there when you're there. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Saints, one of the very first barriers that was broken. Well, it was the disciples' focus itself. You heard the question. It is not for you to know the times and dates. The barrier that is being broken for them to advance the gospel is the focus on the kingdom of God as it relates to Israel geographically, physically, as a unified kingdom. They had to be refocused from seeing their nation reinstated to the glory days to what God wanted to begin in them and radiate outwards. Now make no mistake, Jerusalem restored, Israel restored as it was in the days of David and Solomon and better was still the plan of God. But what they're finding out is that the way God wanted to accomplish that was that the gospel that began in Jerusalem well, it had to radiate outward before the inward goal was ever completed. Look while you're thinking about that. Uh, are there any ladies in the house today? Yeah. Come on, ladies. I want to hear you. How many times have you had anxiety about, uh, but how is all of that going to work out? And, and when is this going to occur? I, I had only been off a plane for about 35 minutes before my wife asked me to forecast the future 10 years of our lives. This morning, I got up and I, I didn't make it through our first cup of coffee rule. And she's asking me which church we're going to next. Now, I get it. I know that what we want is to have a detailed plan. What I want to tell you is that this church has broken that barrier. Come on. We don't get to know when God is going to accomplish everything for us. What we do know 
is that we must focus on them instead of us and everything takes care of itself. Is that a lesson that we can celebrate to the glory of God? Yeah, so the point of the book of Acts is really that some things in the kingdom can only be achieved by putting others before yourself. The point of the book of Acts is that the power to witness would start in Jerusalem and then Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. The gospel causes men to set out on behalf of others. And that in and of itself begins to achieve something in you. Come on. When you care more about what happens to other men than you care about your own lives, it doesn't just do something for the others. It resets something inside of you. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Now we want to look at the ordering in the text of Acts. The next thing that they're recorded as doing in a progression of setting out is the ordering that was mentioned in Acts 1.8. So as we begin this, remember, in Acts 1, their first question is, when are you going to restore our land and our kingdom? And he speaks to them about the gospel radiating outward. The entire narrative for the gospel radiate outward, they're still under the dominion of Rome. They still have Roman soldiers occupying them. Their needs are still very present, but they're obeying the command and the power to witness. So we're going to look at Acts 5, verse 27 and 28. You're going to see a clear historical record of how they carried out what Jesus commissioned them to do. Beginning in verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. And yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Saints, the very first thing that they did after being filled with the Holy Spirit was to stand up, preach, begin to disciple, train the world around them. And they filled Jerusalem. See, when Jerusalem was filled, when this barrier was broken, they took it further. Just as we are going to take what God has given us further to the ends of the earth. What started in their own homes, what started in their own lives, in their own city, began to radiate outward. They learned to prepare a table and then they began to set out. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 has this statement. And Saul approved his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, oh, except on. the apostles. Yeah. We could teach on this forever and we're not going to this morning. But this is not diaspora. They were not scattered randomly in judgment. This is diaspora. They were scattered with intention. Each family had an eternal seed put inside of them. And that eternal seed was going to take root in other lands. As they set out, God would settle them in places. And they would experience nation-changing, world-changing power. That is what is in our future. Amen. They set out for Judea and Samaria. When that barrier was broken, they went even further, just as we shall. In the very same chapter in the fourth verse, it lets you know that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. God used this event to send them 
from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and everywhere else that they went to the ends of the earth, they preached the word. Saints, this barrier was broken and then greater ones followed. What began in Jerusalem had an exponential effect as it radiated outwards. This is exactly what is happening in our day and our time. That is what is happening in this room. Do you remember earlier how in Acts 1 their question is, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? How they radiated outward even though they were under Roman occupation? We're going to look at Acts 10 with you and see how God was at work in the midst of this Roman occupation. Acts 10, 1 is where we're going to begin. Somebody say there when you're there. there. So Acts chapter 10 is what is written in the word that the spirit is leading us to. We were traveling from Romania all the way down to Serbia, from Serbia to Kosovo, from Kosovo into Albania, from Albania into Montenegro. Man, that's a fun nation. The Black Mountain. It made me think of two brothers. From Montenegro into Bosnia, from Bosnia back into Serbia, from Serbia back into Romania. And the Lord was echoing this to us the entire way. And so we want to share some instruction from Acts chapter 10 with you. And in a message called the Balkan Bow, you're going to learn an awful lot more. But this is a foundational principle we have to get hold of. Is that good? Amen. Because it's what we're doing, Christopher Hall. How old are you now? 17 years old. That's giant killing age, man. Look, we're getting married. We're having kids and our kids are growing up and getting married. A lot of amazing things are happening. And I got to tell you, the Lord is putting the nations within our grasp. Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. This text is preparing you. For the barriers that Adonai is about to Come break on. before the people of God. Do yeah. you want to learn more about it? Yeah. Cornelius is a God-fearer. A man in relationship with the Lord. And he has had a vision from God. He acts then on his vision in faith by sending two servants and an Italian soldier. And they are headed to a Jew's place of lodging. That is an unusual scenario. Yes. We want to look at what, the, what happens next in the record of Acts. What Adonai is doing because it's instructive for us. So we're going to pick up in verse 9 and you're going to see what is happening with Peter. 
The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Saints, as we engage with this for just a minute, Peter was in the position of the Lord literally setting a table before him. Just like a tablecloth coming out of heaven, showing him what he will eat of. I'm talking about breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Revelation. Three times. Peter, he himself is about to move into a season of setting out just like we are. At this moment, Peter's not fully aware that he's about to set out, but God is preparing him for it. Adonai was leading him into barriers broken. But preparation and acts of faith had to precede it in Peter's life. Let's look at how the text progresses in verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, man, can I relate to that? Yes. As to what the vision that he had seen might mean. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. Oh, come on. For I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius is centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. He what? He invited them in to be his guest. The next day, he arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So the first thing that you should notice about the text is that Cornelius and Peter each had a vision. Right? Cornelius had one, and Peter had one. However, they are not really two visions. Two visions is a die vision. Two visions is two Visions that are not necessarily going the same place. This is a singular vision given to two men. See, there's one purpose that Adonai has here. He is going to break down barriers between nations and unite people in the Messiahship that is coming upon the earth. What looks like two ministries having a vision. What looks like two households within a ministry having a vision is actually one singular vision. 
The second thing that you should notice is that the table had been set before Peter so that he could set out for the Lord. Everything that God has given your families, Korah, everything that God has given your family, Moloch, is setting a table for something that you will bring to the nations. Amen. He's wasted no experience. No trial, no tribulation has been without its purpose. Our God has arranged a table that we will take to the nations. That is the season we are in setting out. Finally, and most importantly, notice that Peter had to see barriers broken in his own place of lodging before he could go without hesitation to Cornelius' house. Saints, you should be recognizing a pattern here. God has been training us. He has been empowering us. We have experienced great difficulty so that we might be able to provide the comfort of God to others. There is not one event that has happened in our life that has not been preparing us to bring something unique to the nations around us. What happened in Peter's life is the beginning of supernatural breakthrough. For a man to break barriers, to bring barrier-breaking power to others, he must experience it in his own home first. Come on, somebody. We always read this story as Peter went into the house of Cornelius. Long before that occurred, two servants and an Italian soldier entered the house of Peter. Begin to think about this for a minute. If the apostles had their request granted, restore the kingdom of Israel now, when is it happening? You know what Italian soldier would not be here? Cornelius. God was using their day and their circumstances and the two most unlikely of people, Peter, a Jewish apostle, and a Roman centurion, are about to meet. But do you know where this begins? When Peter accepts the servants and a soldier who has enforced Rome's will onto his people, into his home, as brothers in Christ. Could he have had some barriers there? Could there have been some issues from his childhood that were still bothering him? Might he have seen a soldier of Rome or a servant of a soldier of Rome mistreating him in some way? The gospel broke down that barrier when the men entered his house. So he could become fit to go into their houses and break down every barrier. See, when you have experienced this kind of barrier-breaking power in your own home, well then, then you can go without hesitation to other homes anywhere in the world. Because you can bring the exact same experience. Saints, this is what it looks like for barriers to be broken. This is what it looks like to be preparing to set out. To set out with the same good deposit you received, barrier-breaking power. The work done in you can and will be transferred to others. Oh, come on now. It can and it will be transferred to others. You know what it looks like to face unimaginable opposition in your own life and see those barriers broken. That makes you the unqualified, the actual an uncontested expert on what it means to take that power into the house of another. Church, you've been being prepared for this for 21 years. And I'm proud as a pastor to say, you have what it takes. We can and we will take this power to other nations. Let's look at verse 24 together. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. 
Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Notice that once this barrier was broken in Peter, well, it progresses. We have Peter now being invited into Cornelius's house. He started by bringing these men into his home and he travels to Cornelius and he is invited in and finds not only Cornelius, but his relatives and his close friends. Look, this kind of process is what allows us to be able to set out to new areas, new homes, new regions, and bring the power of God to men like Cornelius who are desirous of it and will carry it further. Now you notice, notice in this, that God has already moved Cornelius. You remember, Peter had a vision and so did Cornelius. And yet somehow there one vision. God had moved Cornelius to call together his relatives and his close friends because they were destined by God to receive the same empowerment in one location. He responded to the vision that was given him. Friends, as we personally set out, this is what we are going to find in the nations ahead. After experiencing this kind of barrier breakthrough in our own homes, we will find men who have had a revelation, who have called together their relatives, who have called together their close friends, and our God will give them the same experience we ourselves know intimately. So Zacharias, let me just tell you plainly, everything that's been occurring in your life is so that you can see the chain-breaking power of God. And God has arranged men and women around the globe that he's been uniquely preparing you to enter into their house. And you say, what will I preach? What will I do? You will share the experience that you yourself have had and it will set them free. That's what we know. In every one of these mission trips that we go on, I study, I look, I work really hard to make sure that I have something new for them. You know what I've never needed? Something new. It has always been what God has already caused us to walk through that they need. I'm sitting in their homes and all I am sharing with them is what we do in our homes. Church, you have no idea how well positioned God has put you. Take two things from this text before we move forward. Peter first invited them into his house. That's an important thing. It had to occur before he could walk into their house and do what was done. Next, Peter didn't go alone. He took others with him from Joppa. They went together as a group. When you set out, you never set out alone. Secondly, they didn't go and start from nothing. God had been working behind the scenes. And although Cornelius had had a vision, Cornelius was not alone either. God had brought together his close friends, brought together his relatives so that two groups were meeting and the barriers were already broken down. That is what is in our future. Come on. Perhaps we should pick up in verse 25. Is that all right with you? When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. Come on. Now, if I said that, it would probably be with a note of arrogance. I'm a man. But what had Peter gone through that taught him just how fragile of a man he was? And yet, he stood in the almighty power of God and he had experienced weakness 
that God overcame by power. That's what Peter already brings to the house. He doesn't actually need a new revelation. He doesn't actually need some new teaching. His whole life up to this point had been preparing him for this exact moment. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. Church, we are about to set out and find that God has gathered many persons before us already. They're just waiting to feel and see what you have already experienced. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. You know, in our time, we're taught to divide things based on color. We're taught to divide things based on the most benign and ridiculous of differences between us. But throughout the rest of the world, it's not a black and white issue. It is a national issue. When one nation has conquered another nation, it leaves scars on men's hearts. When uh, somebody in Kosovo sees somebody from the United States, they're so excited. Do you know why? We made them a nation. When they see somebody from Serbia, they're not so excited. Do you know why? That's what Kosovo is supposed to be. Serbian. <laughs> there are barriers between nations that God is preparing us to break down. But before he did that, he had to first teach us on. that the entire racial narrative is a social construct that denies God. We all come from Ham, Shem, and Japheth, Amen. so we cannot be different races. Well, this world belongs to our Father, so we cannot accept barriers between nations. Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked you then why you sent for me. Saints, when you're considering Peter's reaction at this point, you need to know that it is the culmination of what he has learned. He learned from the table that was set in his own house. God gave him a revelation of a table. Then Peter demonstrated putting that revelation into practice by inviting foreigners into his own home. He made them guests in his house for the night. This allowed the power of God to be displayed in Peter, setting out to the men of other nations. My father mentioned the way that national distinctions must go away in our own minds. There are barriers that have existed since the Tower of Babel, where men have divided up the world into different categories. But those barriers must be broken in Christ today in this house. Amen. No more do we look at one nation as opposed to another. No more do we look at it as a missions effort, as if we we're going somewhere to serve a lower class of people. We have one earth that belongs to King Jesus and every square inch of it belongs to our God. How many years have we been practicing this? You're not a Vietnamese Christian. You're a Christian who happens to come from Vietnam. You're not a Filipino Christian. You're a Christian who happens to come from the Philippines. We have been well prepared for this and we're going to set out and take it to every nation on earth. Our identity is that we are sons of God and we will accept no amendments to that identity. The way that this should change the way that we think about the work ahead of us. We're not going on a mission to Mexico. 
We're going to another part of our father's inheritance where they happen to speak Spanish. In this house, we must cultivate this season of barriers broken. We must get rid of all hesitation, all concern, all objections. Get rid of all other objectives in our life other than what the King of Kings has tasked us with. We must jettison everything that we don't need and get rid of our current culture and take on the kingdom culture. Saints, today we are prophesying to you. We are speaking about your future. God has men of other nations that are going to experience what you have and you will transmit it to them. He has moved them to call together their relatives in advance, to call together their close friends in advance. And you're going to see them receive exactly what you have just as Peter did in his day. For this season of setting out to work correctly, we first have to remove, actively go to war with all hesitation, all partiality, all other objectives in life and come into the singular plan and purpose of the Almighty God. I can't tell you the number of times that you come to a border crossing and they're shocked that you're there. I can't tell you the number of times that people warn you against going. Those people, dim people over there, they're filled with hate in their hearts. All right. you, you're not going to be received well. Look, I'm learning to look at a border agent and say, it's true, I'm from America. But that's not my fault. That's just where my parents conceived me and I was born. I actually had nothing to do with it. I was born again from the heavens. And I'm entering in to go find those that need what I have. Because God has arranged them. Come on, Church, that's what's ahead of us in setting out. Can we move to verse 39? And we are witnesses of all that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not only to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Hallelujah. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Let's recap some of this for you. Peter had a table set in the very presence of the Lord. He had a wealth of experience in the presence of the Lord. Peter had barriers broken in the presence of the Lord as evidenced by inviting foreigners into his house. Amen. Peter then set out on behalf of the Lord and the other nations experienced the exact same thing that Peter did. Church, that is what is ahead of us. Amen. That's where we're headed as a church. 
Other nations will experience the kind of life and discipleship that you have been practicing for 21 years. And they will be benefited by it and they will repeat the process. Look, we're going to return to the book of Acts. But we first want to hint at a direction by going through the law, the prophets, and the writings with you. Then we're going to come back to a very important facet that we skipped over intentionally in the book of Acts. Are y'all still with us? Yes. It's 55 minutes into a message, but you've been discipled. You understand. You know what to expect. You were not going to get three points in a poem this morning. We didn't skip weddings and riots in Peru, which we were looking forward to both. To be here, to share with you just a nice thought. We have an actual battle plan before us. And I'm ready to see the soldiers of God rise to the challenge. Are you ready for the battle plan? Are you ready for the battle plan? We're, of course, going to start in the law in the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 6 and verse 4. says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise." You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Saints, this must be done in our own home, and then we can do it in other nations. We've been practicing this for 21 years. That we personally must love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. But then we begin to teach the word to our family and our own house when we walk along the road in every aspect of life. Well, and then that word of God unifies us into one singular body, one singular purpose, one under God, so that we can carry one single purpose to the nations ahead of us. I can't tell you how many times we encounter the same thing. And it's kind of sad, but it's also exhilarating. Both of those things can exist in the same moment. The singular biggest witness that the one association has to other bodies of believers in the world is that we are never without our Bibles. We never stop talking about the scripture. We never answer a question without turning in the word to the answer first. This is shocking to the rest of the world. In fact... We get into a van with a man from another nation who has stood persecution that is hated by the community around him because of his love for Jesus Christ. But when he gets in the van, he doesn't bring his Bible. So the van does not move forward until he has gone back inside and got his Bible. For the entire trip through all of the other nations... We do not discuss political intrigue. We do not discuss ancient wounds. We discuss one thing. The will of God on earth expressed on. in his word and empowered by the spirit. This is nation changing. And it's all that you have been doing for 21 years. Let's move to the prophets. First Kings chapter 18 verse 21. You'll hear a building theme in this as we go. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? 
If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Saints, today in this house, we have answered Elijah's call. We have built our lives around one singular purpose, the word of God and the will of God, and we stand together. Just like the call, how long will you go on limping? We say we will stand in the name of Jesus Christ. We know who he is, and we are in the process of eliminating all other priorities so that the arrow that is this church can hit its mark. We will not have two opinions about the will of God. We will not have two opinions about the people of God. Nope. We will not have two opinions about our brothers. When I speak with this one, I already know how he'll react. When I speak with that one, I know what he'll do. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a singular opinion. Yeah. We're on the earth for one reason. We will have no hesitation in setting out. We will have no hesitation about who we set out with. A singular purpose that what we have experienced here is what we are setting out with to the nations on earth. Let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 38. And I'm going to give you a minute to get there. Okay, I lied. You don't have a minute to get there. You have seconds to get there. You've been trained. You know where Chronicles is. There's no dust on it in your Bible. Oh, come on, girl. Knock the dust off that section of your Bible. 1 Chronicles 12, 38. All these, how many? Oh. All these men of war arrayed in battle order came to Hebron with a whole heart to make David king over all Israel. Likewise, all the rest of Israel were of a single mind to make David king. And they were there with David for three days, eating and drinking, for their brothers had made preparation for them. And also their relatives from as far as Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali came bringing food on donkeys and on camels and on mules and on oxen. Abundant provisions of flour, cakes of figs, clusters of raisins, and of wine and oil, oxen and sheep. For there was joy in Israel. Church, the deeper that you look at this passage, the more you will see your reflection in the mirror of God's word. Come on. Because you have been discipled and trained to be men and women of war. You are men on a singular mission. And a single mind is what is required for what is ahead of us. No division, only one vision. You have with you wine and flour and abundant provisions. And God has already gathered together groups of people that you will discover as you've set out that are praying for it. That have been drawn Amen. by God's spirit and prepared by God's spirit. And they simply want to hear what you have already experienced. Look, we're going to read Acts 10 in verse 20. And we're going to do it again. And then understand our marching orders. Where are we going to read from? And what are we going to find in it? Rise and go down. And accompany them without hesitation. For I have sent them. We have a slide for you that is on this English word hesitation. 
In the Greek, the word is diakrino, or in its root form, dia. It means without separation. Go with them without distinguishing. Go without deciding between you and them. Go without judging between you and them. You should be getting a feel here as you're reading this. God is telling Peter, I want you to go with these men without having your own opinions, your own distinguishment, your own judgment, your own separation, without having any other opinion besides my opinion. Or in other words, you cannot be a man of two opinions. Your own ethnic and national assessment of this Roman and the kingdom of God's assessment. You must have one opinion about them. Look at the English words that the SV and the NIV translate diacrino as. Hesitation is obvious in the text. Don't hesitate to carry out God's will. Don't make distinctions. Don't reinterpret God's will. Don't criticize this process. Don't waver in it. Don't make your own discernments about it. Don't make your own judgments about it. Do not weigh two different men differently. Do not see them differently. Do not be doubting what God has said. There are so many ways that this can show up. Perhaps there is a church in the one association that you love dearly. That you say, amen, I I think the world of those brothers. But when it comes to risking your life, you would rather be standing with someone from within this room. That's a distinction. And God is going to do away with it. In fact, he's already broken down the barrier. On our trip, it became so clear that everything that is happening in our future requires the other churches of the one association. And he has given them every piece of the puzzle that we ourselves do not yet possess. But we do not have two visions. God has been giving us a singular vision. Diacrino has to do with having two opinions about someone. I know that that brother is loved of God and all of that, but... No, no, there is no... But every experience, every table that has been set in every home in this church is necessary. It is what the nations need. And if God has called two teams together that have serious, different experiences between them, it's because the group that you're going to will need both experiences. Yeah, amen. Come on. We're going to expound on this concept of diacrino and visit some of its occurrences. Before we do, I want to make sure that you made the connection in Chronicles. All Israel rallied to make David king. Listen, days are coming rapidly upon us when distinctions between tribes in this house will fall away. It was necessary that Issachar, that Dan, that Judah all stood together in their unique capacity, but they were all Israel. It's almost as if God brought us through a series about Judah and his brothers beforehand to ensure that we stop drawing up divisional lines and rally around the son of David. Let's just touch on something because now we're just kind of freewheeling it here. There's other ways you can have diacrino. Mm -hmm. One is that you cast something other than a fixed value on your brother. That one, I think we all understand. Let me touch on a more prevalent one in our circle. You do not esteem yourself with the same fixed value that you esteem someone else. 
if Pastor Eric was here, this situation would have gone differently. No, God has invested in you exactly the same thing as me. This is exactly why we have discipled. There is no disparity between us. We are actually equals. Some of you need to get rid of diacrino about yourself. Two opinions that you have of yourself. That you can in the name of Jesus, but you also may not. No, no, we're going to get rid of diacrino, two judgments, two opinions about everyone in this room. The line between those discipled and the ones doing the discipling is beginning to go away. Barriers are breaking because Jesus Christ spilled the same blood for every one of us. He empowered us with the same spirit, every one of us, and we all have the same mission before us. So diacrino will not exist where we sit back and wait for some more qualified brother to set out. No, God has put us in a season as a church body of every one of us setting out. You're going to have to take a higher view of God's work that he's done in you. And that doesn't diminish what he did through another man. It just raises you to the same status as loving the Lord in the same way. Somebody say amen. 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 We're about to read Matthew 21, verse 20 through 22. This is Jesus' commentary on the diacrino effect, if you will. This is him speaking to his disciples about defeating the disparity that they feel and elevating them to apostles of God. Do you believe that the disciples thought Jesus could do anything? Yes. But that's not what he's teaching them. He's teaching them that they too can do it. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? We have all marveled at what Jesus Christ can accomplish. In the same way, the disciples looking at him, we have marveled at what another man of God can accomplish. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't leave them in verse 20. And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you. Somebody say to you. Jesus saw that they were amazed at the supernatural power of God in him, but he does not leave them in amazement. Truly, he says to them, if you have faith and do not diacrino, if you do not doubt, you will not only be able to do what has been done to the fig tree, but if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you receive if you have faith. Saints, this scripture that is loved by charismatics all over the world. If you believe without doubt, they say, it'll be done. Saints, this is not some intangible measurement of faith. This is not some stupid way to enforce a disparity between a great man of God on the stage and you, little person on the seat, who can't see someone healed. Christ is saying, if you are of one opinion... Instead of being dicrino, two opinions about the matter. If you are singleness of heart, singleness of purpose, united with God's will on earth, you can say to this mountain, be uprooted in the sea, and it will. No matter how impossible the task before you, if we eliminate diacrino, two judgments, two opinions about the will of God, Jesus Christ is guaranteeing that we will be victorious. We will not have diacrino between two brothers. We will not have diacrino about the will of God. When we have determined what the word and the spirit says, 
that settles the matter and we set out to accomplish it. Amen? Amen. Romans 14 has been the subject of diacrino in many, many communities. There's nowhere that I go in the world that somebody doesn't like my beard, my jeans, my boots, my bald head, or the fact that I drink and smoke almost every day. It would be easy to eliminate any one of those things in any audience, but that, that actually destroys the point. Well, Christians here, we don't do these things. You know what else you don't do? Get the will of God done on earth. Let me teach you about diacrino. Romans 14, 23. But whoever doubts, whoever has diacrino, two opinions, two subjects, two judgments, a divided heart, but whoever has diacrino is condemned if he eats. But the eating is not from faith. Forever does not proceed from faith is sin. You settle your convictions in your heart. You settle what the word of God has said to you and the spirit is empowering you to do. And you do it without two opinions and the impossible becomes possible for you. Come on. Others will stand back and go, even the Gentiles receive just as we have. Or they may even stand back and say, even those guys can do this just as we have not been doing it. Diacrino causes the body of Christ to divide into those that want fermentation and those that don't. Those who need their collars buttoned all the way to the top and those who prefer to let it hang down to mid-chest. The point is not one unified expression of our faith. The point is one unified mission. And the differences that are among us are because where we are going, they need each of our experiences together on one mission. One singleness on. of heart, one mind. Amen? Amen? The Apostle James is going to help us with how to get this right. Before we do, I want to emphasize the fact from Romans 14. Anything that stems from diacrino, anything that is not stemming from a singleness of faith and purpose, diacrino, two opinions about your own ability to work in ministry, that is sin. Diacrino about someone else's ability to succeed in the power of God, that is sin. So what we have to reckon with is both in ourselves, the areas we've had two opinions, our own internal wrestling and what God has said, and how we've projected that upon our brothers. But when we eliminate it. When we recognize what it is. James teaches us that God will do something supernatural. This is James chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no diacrino. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, man unstable in all his ways. James explains to us that our own inadequacy and our own lack of wisdom and the things we recognize we don't have. If we're willing to gather a singleness of heart willing to stand with our brothers on our left and right in a singleness of purpose and say, Almighty God, give me wisdom in these days. He will answer your call. When somebody is unashamedly spirit-filled, 
and advocating for the gifts of the Spirit expressed on earth. When somebody is unashamedly evangelistic and they want with all of their heart and their actions to see the nations of the world saved. When someone uh, submits to, clings to, and adheres to the Word of God in its entirety as they understand it, that is enough for us. Look at what Jude says. And have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who are experiencing diacrino. Two judgments on a subject. Two opinions on a subject. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by flesh. Jude is encouraging us as a man who himself once had two opinions about Christ. To be merciful to those that God has not brought into the revelation that you now have. The way that that mercy is expressed is that you stand with your identity in Christ as the Lord has taught you and set your convictions. And they learn from seeing you that it's okay that you're different. It's okay that you didn't cross your T's in the way that they do or dot your I's. God is with you and he makes no distinction. We do not eliminate diacrino by simply submitting to the customs of every land that we go to. Instead, the customs of God are our rule in life. And where there is ambiguity between two brothers, we will let God settle it by seeing if the Spirit falls on both groups. Amen? Let us go to Acts 15, verse 8. So Jude told us to have mercy on those who have diacrino. The expectation is that through our lives, we will produce a singleness of heart and mind as diacrino is eliminated. In the church in Acts 15, what you're seeing is the process of diacrino being eliminated within the body of Christ. Picking up in verse 8, it says, God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he, being God, made no diacrino. Between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Church Acts 15 is the council at Jerusalem. They, as one unified body, are recognizing that God has no diacrino between them and the Gentiles. And they are stripping it from their lives. And this is what produces a gospel that goes all the way from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. They got with God's singleness of heart, singleness of mind, and recognized there's no diacrino in him. We're going to read one more scripture, give you marching orders, and come to a close. But what you have learned in Acts 15, what has become common for you, you're like, oh yeah, God makes no distinction between Gentiles and Jews. Understand how difficult that was for the people who were doing this. But Lord, look at what they eat. Lord, look at what they wear. Lord, look at what they do or don't do. This was not an easy thing to overcome. But the way that God overcame it was first, a Jew accepted men into his own home. Then what God had done in his own home, he took into theirs. And the spirit fell on both groups. And what God has accepted, who would we be to make diacrino? Do you understand what we're saying? Because you probably have some thoughts about certain nations in the world. People of certain religious backgrounds in the world. 
For instance, when we talk about sending your children into an entirely Muslim land, that might not be the most appetizing thought to you. We're going to eliminate diacrino. Amen. Because when we get into a singular vision and a singular purpose, God will do supernatural things among us. And next week, you're going to hear what he has revealed to us about the nations. I want to tell you that when God reveals something to one church and then something that looks different to the other, I, like every other man, thought immediately, what's wrong with you? You had to put your own signature on this? You, you couldn't just accept that what God said is true? How, why does your map look different than ours? And now I'm learning that it's one map. It's one vision. This is Cornelius and Peter, and God is revealing more of his plan to us. And I hope next week you'll come with pencils and notebooks because men better than ourselves are going to teach it, and it is quite the revelation. For now, let's focus on what needs to occur in this house. Romans 4 and verse 20. Say no, no. no. diacrino. Diacrino. Well, you're already quoting Romans 4.20. No unbelief, having two opinions about a subject, two judgments about a subject, is unbelief. No unbelief or diacrino made him waver concerning the promise of God. Our father Abraham, who we can only call our father if we act like him, because we have no genetic right to Abraham, did not have two opinions about what God would accomplish. He did not have two opinions about what he must do. He did not have two opinions about God's will on earth. Come on. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. You have been setting a table in your own homes. And your homes have been blessed by it. We are now in a season where you are taking that portable tabernacle. And setting out on missions to bring what God did in your home into the homes of others. Amen. You will undoubtedly encounter many things that you don't know if are okay and you don't like. When John and Joy moved in my house, I didn't like the way they cooked. The problem is God didn't mind. And I saw amazing things happen between our families. Amen. And now I like even what they like to eat. God will eliminate diacrino on every level because the mission takes precedence. The gospel takes precedence. And we will not divide into camps of any kind. We've learned this about clothing. We've learned this about fermentation. We've learned this about the color of our skins. And now we are going to learn it about geography on a map and made up borders by the satanic world that we're about to kick down. We want to recap five things with you and speak as plainly and directly as possible about what God is doing. It is our intention today to set your expectation for future vision that can be expounded on. on to start with from Acts 10, the two visions of the men were about one thing that God was bringing to pass. Them being together and the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. 
Too long we have labored under the disbelief, the faithlessness, that what we have received is unique because it came to us specifically. And we have not recognized the way in which our God is sovereign enough in faith to see that he's giving us pieces of one larger singular vision. We're talking about this between your families, between teams within teams, and between churches at large. We wanted to let you know, again, this sermon is barriers broken. The next sermon will be the Balkan bow. The sermon after that will be bending the bow. God has given us marching orders, and we are going to learn to do it. It will take the Browns. It will take Assad and Kayla. It will take Rhett and Gabby. It will take every family that God has brought in here, but more than that, it will take every family in the one association. And we're starting to see that the vision given to Zeke and the vision given to the brothers in Chicago and the vision given in Baton Rouge is actually one vision. Announcing foundation studies. We're going to go through the book of Acts because if it was good enough for the apostles to do it that way, then it's going to be good enough for us. Before we get to our final closing point, Judah would like to hint at something that we're going to show you on a map. So we have a slide for you. This is something that will be expounded upon later, as you've already heard. But this is the Balkan boat. This is areas that God has highlighted that can only be seen by teams of teams, between churches, overlapping visions that will fire arrows that are sons into the Middle East. God is expounding upon the vision he's already given us, and we're waking up to the way that they connect with one another. You can go ahead and remove that slide. We want you to have a little bit of anticipation for you to be praying about these things, thinking about these things, and next Sunday, you will hear about the Balkan bow. Now, it's important for you to know, as you saw that, it's not just a neat little graphic. It is a map of where God caused us to travel. It is a map of where we found people praying and gathering, wanting what God has given our church bodies. But the map, to put it together, required us to see that Chicago's vision was actually the same as ours and ours is Chicago. That Zeke's was the same as ours and ours the same as his. There is actually cannot be any diocrino between us. Yeah. God has arranged for us a singular mission. Can we talk to you about your lives in our closing couple minutes? I was going to do it anyway. Do you have any distinction? Any opinions? Any judgment between or about you and a brother in this church or a brother in another church? Do you have anything going on in your heart and mind? That if you were hanging off the side of a cliff and your life depended on a brother holding the other end of that rope, you're like, pick anybody but this guy, Lord. Because if you do, we're preventing the full empowerment of the spirit in our midst. If Acts 10 doesn't teach us anything else, it's that when God kicks down the barrier in a man that we're calling Diacrino, the Holy Spirit falls on all of us in a more profound way. 
It's simply agreeing on earth what God has already said in the heavens. We want you to be fully empowered by the Spirit, and you cannot be fully empowered to witness Christ's glory and deeds to the nations when any division exists between you and a brother in this room or you and a brother in any one of the churches. So, well, it's not really a division. I just don't like the way they do that. Well, to his own mastery stands or falls. Are you his master? What difference does it make what you like and don't like? I don't like skinny jeans, but apparently God doesn't mind. I don't like bland food, but apparently God doesn't mind. I don't like the snow, but apparently God doesn't mind. We're going to have to examine our own hearts in this room. And maybe the biggest diacrino of all. Are you pretty sure that God will do it through a brother in this room? But you've already counted yourself out so that your faith does not have to rise to meet the same challenge as everybody else? Have you already decided that you will just humbly bow out because you're not good enough anyway? That is a diacrino that has to fall for you to have the Holy Spirit fall on you and fill you in the ways that you should. Saints, we've been going a while, and there's a great deal that I want to share with you, but that's why we laid out the coming sermons. I can feel by the Spirit of God what he's highlighting in this room is the diacrino that we have about ourselves. See, Peter could not get rid of his diacrino about Cornelius until he started by putting it to death in him. So in this room, what we're not looking for is a mass altar run. What we're looking for is men with the lights on who can honestly stand up in front of their peers and say, I've been wrestling with diacrino in myself and it's produced faithlessness, but I want the singleness of purpose that Abraham displayed. Hey, as he does this, we're not making this up. Peter could have thought himself better than Cornelius, but he demonstrated that he didn't and brought him in his home. When Peter walked into Cornelius' house, Cornelius had the opposite problem. He thought himself not as good as Peter and fell down to worship him. Both men got rid of their partiality that day. And it is what must happen in this room. You're hearing that the Spirit is striking your heart, the diacrino about yourself has been warring against the actual call of God. That that insecurity is why you have diacrino about other men. Stand to your feet. Saints, our God is pushing us into greater things. I can tell you the way that he has been refining my own heart. And I view Chicago differently than I ever have. I have my younger brother a few feet from me. He was the first person out of all of the men in this room to stand up and say, I have diacrino inside of me. Because of my own insecurity, because the diacrino I allowed to exist in me, I've looked at other men and projected that on them. I've looked at Chicago for years as a beloved younger brother. But the problem is younger brothers grow up into real men of God. And harboring that diacrino does nothing but hinder your growth, hinder my growth. Today's the day that we put that to death in ourselves. 
as husbands in this house or husbands to be in just a few short days. We're going to begin to refine it out of our families by securing them in the call of God. By setting our table and preparing our house to move out. And God is going to bless that endeavor with supernatural power and changes. Just like in Acts 10 where the spirit visited them like in Acts 2. You are not inferior in any way. But we must eliminate the things that war against our own soul. Thank you, Justin Treister. Thank you, Adam Cora, for preparing the way for this message before this. So we begin to pray. Raise your hands. Worship team, you can come up. We're not going to do somberful worship. We're going to praise the living God. We're going to declare that Diacrino dies in us today. And then we are going to stand shoulder to shoulder with our brothers in this body and in the bodies all over this nation that he has joined us to. And we're going to see the gospel advanced. Mighty one, I thank you for your ability to raise men like us up. Lord, we readily admit that we do need wisdom. That we do lack faith. But we are not diacrino about your faithfulness. We say give us wisdom, Father. Raise us up in this house that we might believe what you are accomplishing in every one of us. That we might believe what you're doing in our brothers in this room. That we might believe what you're doing in our brother churches. And the way that you're aiming us as one army of the living God. At the world at large to see your gospel brought back to Jerusalem. Where it started and was brought to us. We commit our hands to you and say strengthen our hands in this house, mighty God.